Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Hey, today I want to start a new series, and um, here's the best way I can describe this to you. Summer is upon us, and when you go swimming, there's, there's really two different types of people in this room when you go swimming. The first one, you like to, like, you don't jump right in the spring or right in the pool. You like to come to the edge of the water, and you, you dip your toes, and after you acclimate a little bit to that, then you, you get ankle deep, and you slowly wade out, and, and the older you get, the more you like to do this, because your body can't handle the shock. And, and so you acclimate to the water, and you kind of ease your way into it. Then there's those of you that it's kamikaze. I mean, you just, you just run and jump in. Is that how you are? Well, yep, that figures. Uh, explains a lot. Um, no. You just run and jump, just cannonball in. You know, it's just, it's, it's just all or nothing, man. That's how it is. Well, today, we're, we're cannonballing into this thing, okay? It's a new series. It's a new subject, but we're not going to ease our way into it. And you're going to get really uncomfortable at some moment today. I promise you, you're going to get really uncomfortable. But stay with me. Just stay with me. Because I want to help make sense of all of this. So I'm starting this new series, and it's on a subject that can be extremely controversial in, in, in the church. So for those of you that brought guests today, good luck. <laughs> because you, you are about to just cringe, okay? Please understand that what I want to talk to you about today, the world can care less about what I'm going to speak on. The world can care less. The world doesn't care about this subject. This is not about politics. Somebody say amen. It's not about politics. It's not about political correctness. What I want to talk to you about today, it's not liberalism versus conservatism. It, it's, it's not, this is not a subject that atheists like to debate. It's not even on their radar. They don't even really know that this is, this is part of the plan. And they don't get it because, and I think you'll understand why they don't get it in just a moment. But yet, within the confines of the Christian movement, the subject that I want to talk to you about today is one of the most controversial subjects. Denominations differ on the theology that surrounds this subject. Theologians have debated it. Families have literally split over this subject, and it's the subject of the Holy Spirit. There it is. And some of you are ready to run. And I get it, I get it, because I've been there. But what you have to understand, church, is that the, the controversy, it's a direct attack by the enemy to bring confusion and misunderstanding to the body of Christ because Satan knows the power of the church, he knows the power of God's people, and he knows the power of the individual that is moving and operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit is active in a person's life, we are an unstoppable force, not because of our own ability, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit that's operating in and through us. And so the enemy knows that the world can care less about this. The world just wants you to, to deny God and deny the existence of his son, Jesus Christ, that paid the price for your sins. That's a big deal. Don't get me wrong. That's the biggest of deals. That's what the world's concerned with. So the world turns all of its attention there. Satan understands 
that the subject of the Holy Spirit is so important for your Christian walk and so important for the power of God flowing through you that he wants to bring the controversy in the church. And what has happened is he has caused denominations to be birthed just so that they can differ with one another on the theology behind this. Now, there are many people, some in this room, that are just simply confused by the Holy Spirit. I was there. I have been there. I admit to you, I have been there. But understand that 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So God doesn't want you confused over this. He doesn't want churches confused over this. He does not want denominations split and confused over this. God wants peace. God wants peace. He wants the knowledge of the Holy Spirit in your life to bring peace to your life. And, and, and I, I just wholeheartedly believe that God doesn't want us confused about this. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 the, the Apostle Paul, he said this about the Holy Spirit. He, he said, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, he says, I do not want you to be uninformed. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. One translation says, I don't want you to misunderstand this. Yet another translation says, I do not want you to be ignorant. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, I do not want you to be ignorant is what Paul said. So in the words of Paul, here's what I want to say to you. I do not want you, us, to be ignorant of the Holy Spirit because it is so important for the believer's life. I believe that God's word gives us plenty of information for us to understand the Holy Spirit. So I feel compelled to teach about this subject. Now I want you to understand something with me. And, and, and I'm not pointing fingers, but, but this happens in every denomination. It happens in most churches. Understand that conviction and experiences are important to your walk with Christ. Conviction is, is important. The experience that you have is important. Nobody can take the experience of your walk with Christ away from you. But if you can't back up that conviction and that experience with Scripture, it has no business becoming doctrine. It's still important. It is conviction and it is experience, and it's part of your walk with Christ. I'm not, I'm not trying to negate that. It is very important. But if we're going to create doctrine, then you must have a scriptural backing for it. So let's talk about this. Who is the Holy Spirit? Because for some of you that, that you're new to the faith, you really don't know and you don't understand it. And there's some people around you right now that they've been in this thing most of their life and, and they don't really have, they think they have a clue, but they really don't have a clue. They don't know who the Holy Spirit is. Now, when I refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit, I am simply referring to the person and his role in the Godhead Trinity. So when I say the Holy Spirit, I'm referring to his role. I know that there are many people that have many different varieties of names that they prefer to call the Holy Spirit. Some people call the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. Other people drop the the and it's just Holy Spirit. Like, like that's his name. Holy Spirit. First name Holy, last name Spirit. Some people refer to, to him as the, the Spirit of God, or they drop the the and it's just Spirit of God. Some people, if you're old school, you've referred to him as the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Somebody's heart right over here. I mean, they're like, oh, yes, Lord, finally. 
Ancient Celtic believers in the British Isles, they called the Holy Spirit the wild goose. It's getting weird, right? You're like, what? They did. They called they call him the wild goose because he is untamed and uncontrolled. It, it caused Mark Batterson to write a book called Wild Goose Chase. It's called Pursuing the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not about to call him the wild goose. Okay, That's not where we're heading with this. Throughout Scripture, however, the Trinity of God is referenced to by their roles. Often, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Often throughout God's Word. That's how they are referenced. Jesus said it in Matthew 28 and 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What I don't want us to do today is to get bogged down in how we refer to him. Listen, if you want to call the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, call him Holy Spirit. I really don't want to get caught up in all that. It's kind of like this. I go by many different names. My mom has a nickname for me that I shall not mention because I know you, and you'll call me that for the rest of my life. There's some of you in the room that you will just do that. Yeah, out of respect, you might add pastor to the beginning of it, but it's still not right for you to have the rest of it, so I'm not telling you. But my mom will eventually call me Rocky. Rocky. She, she will start with the oldest brother. I'm the youngest of four boys. All of our names are ours. And so she'll start with the oldest, and she'll start, Randy, no, Ronnie, Rodney, Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. And so she calls me Rocky. Mom calls me Rocky. Um, there's some of you in the church that call me Pastor Rocky, and, and yet others, you'll, you'll refer to me, you'll abbreviate it and call it PR. And so I go by that name sometimes. Um, there, there are uh, some people that call me Dad. Well, there's two people that call me Dad, and only two, just two, and it's my children. They call me Dad. And then my wife my wife often refers to me as babe. I don't blame her. <laughs> she gets to call me babe. You don't get to call me babe. Okay? I'm still the same person. I'm just referred to with different names. So I'm really not here to get caught up in the nomenclature of, of what you want to call the Holy Spirit. Wh whatever that, that feels right for you and, and that. I mean, don't be disrespectful with it and certainly don't give him some off-the-wall name. But according to Scripture and the different names that are used, whatever you choose to call him, uh, that, that's fine. For the purposes of this series, I am going to consistently refer to him as the Holy Spirit because that's what I'm comfortable with, his description of who he is in the Godhead Trinity is the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. So don't be angry with me if that's not what you call the Holy Spirit, but that's what I'm going to refer to him as throughout this series. Depending on your religious background, you may or may not be comfortable talking about the Holy Spirit. Some of you were raised in churches that talked a lot about God the Father and God the Son, but the moment that you opened up the Bible, when the pastor opened up the Bible to, to Acts chapter 2 and started talking about God the Holy Spirit, suddenly everybody in the church begins to get uptight. You start gripping the, the, the pew really tight because it's, it's not comfortable. 
especially if you had guests with you. It's just not comfortable. Uh, often, the Holy Spirit, in these types of atmospheres, the Holy Spirit has been treated like that weird uncle at family reunions that, that, that nobody wants to, to take a picture with, and nobody talks about him, and nobody talks to him, it, just kind of in hopes that he'll just go away. Others, like me, you were raised in an environment that overemphasized the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And let me say this. There is a reason for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm not here to, to take those away from the church, okay? But in an atmosphere that I was raised in, there was this overemphasis of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and in that atmosphere, you didn't have church until there were three messages given out in tongues and Sister Bethel went running around the church in a Holy Ghost fit, shouting out all the bobby pins in her hair. And that environment would scare half of you to death. It would. For me, for me, I didn't want to invite friends to church. My dad was the pastor, and I did not want to invite friends to church because at some point I'm going to have to explain why Brother Fred sounds like a laughing hyena on Red Bull, and I didn't want to explain that. And so it became very uncomfortable. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm trying to be very real right now because I know how some of you are feeling. And neither of those two scenarios are healthy. Neither one is healthy. Uh, uh, an anti-Holy Spirit scenario is extremely unhealthy, and an amped-up Holy Spirit scenario is very unhealthy. And here's what I've come to realize in my journey and my quest to find out who the Holy Spirit really is. I've come to realize that, that he doesn't need me to extinguish him. He doesn't need me to deny him. He doesn't need me to silence him. But he doesn't need me to amp him up either. I, I'm not here to, to overwork, build up the emotions of it. And, and the Holy Spirit, he is complete all in his work. All I have to do is to learn to yield to it. I don't have to create something that's not. And for me, personally, being raised in a Pentecostal atmosphere, it created a desire for me to find the truth. Because I saw things that, that, that made me scratch my head. I saw some things and witnessed some things that I was uncertain about. And, and from people that I was uncertain about. I, I don't know if I have time to get into it right now. Let, let me say it like this. Before, before you start operating in the gifts of the Spirit, try operating in the fruit of the Spirit first. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. I found myself on this quest. My wife will tell you, I had started in full-time ministry. I don't apologize for this. I had started in full-time ministry, and I wasn't sure what I believed in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And what it did is it started me on, this, on, on what I call my quest to find out about the Holy Spirit. And, and I just started reading everything that I possibly could, good and bad. I just started reading it. And there are some books that I still have in my library today that are all marked up that, that, that man, back, they were backed up scripturally and, and, and I could glean from that. There were other books that I got one or two chapters into it and I realized this is heresy and I, I trashed them because I wasn't even going to give them away. Nobody needed to read those books. So to tell you that I opened up my heart, I did. I did. I opened up my heart because I wanted to know the Holy Spirit, and I wanted to know the truth of the Holy Spirit, and, and I realized that, that it, it, it's, it's dangerous 
just, just to, to be in that place sometimes because you don't have support from either side. And, and so what, what I ended up doing is, is, is I found myself somewhere in, in, this, in this desert land and I had no support from those that, that were, were heavily Pentecostal. And, and if you didn't believe their way, then, it, then, then you know, you're out. And then there were people over here that believed in the cessation of gifts. That means they do not ex- exist any longer, that they died with the apostles. And, and I found myself in the middle in this place. And, and what could have been a very dangerous place became for me the most life-giving place because I had no one else to rely on except the Holy Spirit to guide me and to lead me into his truth and his righteousness. And, and, and I'm not here to brag about it. All I, am, all, all I can say to you is this, is that God took me on a journey. God took me on a quest. And I believe that God, through this series, wants me to share with you the truths from his word, backed up by scripture, I'm telling you, I felt inadequate when I first started off in ministry because I didn't resemble the, 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 uh, the, the theology of my father or even my colleagues or even the denomination that I was raised in. But, but God, through his spirit, he, he brought me to this understanding of where I'm at today. And if I say anything that's not backed up by scripture, then you explore it for yourself. Why now? This is a dangerous subject. For a growing church. And man, God has blessed us. There are so many new faces coming to our church. Even today, I look around and I see new faces. And, 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 and this is a, it can be a dangerous subject for a church because there's so much controversy around it. But why now? Why now? Why is this so important that you do this right now, Pastor Rocky? And it's because we just celebrated the resurrection of Christ. The most important foundational truth to our faith. Amen? It's the resurrection of Christ. We just celebrated that. But the next significant moment, the next significant event that happened was what we refer to as the day of Pentecost. And it's the day that 120 believers of Jesus Christ were baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. And this event would prove to be crucial to the foundation for the early church. And without this event, without the Holy Spirit, they would have failed miserably. Church, they would have failed. What the Holy Spirit did to them, it was the jumper cables. It it, it was the shock that they needed in order to produce the power for what was going to come. We'll get there in just a moment. But it was necessary, and without it, they would have failed miserably. Now, let me say this to you. I'm also convinced that without the Holy Spirit's power operating in our lives, we will fail miserably too. It is hard to walk the Christian walk. It's hard to walk the Christian faith. It's hard to walk with Jesus. And Christ knew that it was going to be. And so he chose to do something about it. And and, and I'm convinced that if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives, that we too will continue to struggle. Let me say this. It's the reason why some of you are still struggling, even though you've given your heart to Christ, you still find yourself struggling often. And it's because you have yet to open your heart up to the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. John chapter 14. 
John chapter 14. I want to read this to you. It's, it's on the, the last night that Jesus was spent with his disciples. They're, they're in an upper room. They're having a, a meal together. They're having, you know, celebrating Passover. And, and, and they're up in this upper room, and they're all eating. And, and as they're just sitting around kind of chatting and talking after dinner, Jesus, Jesus says something, and, and, and he makes this promise to them. He makes them a promise. And I want to share with you what he said. John chapter 14, starting at verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Don't miss that. I will give you another helper. Jesus was their helper. And now he wants to give them another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Jesus said, you know him. The world doesn't know him. It's the reason why atheists don't debate the Holy Spirit. They don't know. They haven't had that moment of salvation. They don't believe in Christ. And he says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Go down to verse 26, and Jesus continues. He says, but the helper. And then he clarifies who the helper is. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In 2008, Florida football was at its best. It was a great, great year, man. We were coming off, we were, we were right off the hills of of. The, the previous year, our quarterback, Tim Tebow, he, he won the Heisman Trophy as a sophomore. I believe becoming the first sophomore to ever win the Heisman Trophy. And, and man, we were fresh off the heels of that. And, and, and this year, in 2008, the Gators outscored their opponents 611 points to 181 points. 611 to 181. We had 13 players that were named to all SEC teams. We had 13 wins in 2008. But on September the 27th, 2008, boy, that was a sad day. Anybody remember that day? Man, if you're a Gator fan, it was tough. We entered a home matchup against the Ole Miss Rebels as a 22-point favorite. At home, 22-point favorite only to suffer our only loss of the season, 30 to 31. Such, such, such a tough game. And, and, and it seemed as though all hopes of a national championship, a national title, were, were, were gone because we plummeted to number 12 in the polls. It was so, so rough for us Gator fans. I don't really care about anybody else. But for us, it was rough. But if you remember, and everybody, everybody in the nation saw this, at the post-game conference, a very emotional quarterback, Tim Tebow, he, 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 he made a speech that will forever be etched in history as what is called the promise. Listen to what Tebow said. I just want to say one thing to the fans and everybody in Gator Nation. I'm sorry, extremely sorry. We were hoping for an undefeated season. That was my goal. It's something Florida's never done here, but I promise you one thing, a lot of good will come out of this. He went on to say, 
You have never seen any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of this season. And you will never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of this season. You'll never see a team play harder than we will play the rest of the season. And then he said, God bless, and he walked away from the podium. And after that promise, the Gators, who were now number 12 in the polls, went on what is an unprecedented run as they beat number four LSU by 30 points. They beat number eight Georgia by 39 points. They beat number 24 South Carolina by 50 points. They beat number 23 FSU by 30 points. Then we went to the SEC championship game and we beat the top ranked Alabama Crimson Tide 31 to 20 becoming the SEC champions. And then in the national championship game we beat the Oklahoma Sooners. And I have the t-shirt that says the promise was fulfilled with the date on it. Let's pray. Jesus, somebody say Jesus. Jesus, on the night before he would be crucified, on the night that he was betrayed, he made a promise. Let's look again at, at our text, John 14 and 16, and he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This is important, to be with you forever. Jesus was with them for a moment, for a season but this helper is going to be with them forever. And then after his resurrection, he reiterates the promise right before he ascends to the Father, right before he ascends to heaven in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, church, in order for us to understand the significance of this promise that Christ made, we've got to look back through history to see the role that the Holy Spirit played in people's lives because it's very different than it is today. Time and time again in the Old Testament, let me, let me explain it to you like this. We read that the Spirit came upon someone and empowered them for the moment and then it was lifted from them. Throughout the Old Testament, any time the, 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 the power of the Holy Spirit rests upon someone and empowers someone, it's just for, for that moment, for that task that's at hand. We know that the Spirit empowered Joshua to lead Israel. We know the Spirit came upon Gideon to, to lead Israel into battle. The Spirit of the Lord gave Samson supernatural strength for the moment for him to, to, to push the columns. We know that the Spirit rushed upon David. That's what it says. It rushed upon David when he was anointed to be king. And, and then in the rebuilding of the temple, God told Zerubbabel, he says, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so there were moments when humanity was empowered by the spirit. Don't miss this. And it appears that the empower, empowerment of the Holy Spirit in the Old, Old Testament was selective and it was temporary upon those individuals for their specific tasks. The abiding presence, which is what is, 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 uh, is, we have access to this now, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, it was not yet given to us. It was not yet given to humanity, but it was foretold of in the Old Testament. Listen to this, Joel 2 and 28. 
And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Isaiah 44 and 3, the prophet says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Ezekiel 36 verses 26 and 27 and I will give you, get this, I will give you a new heart. This is conversion. This is the moment of salvation. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to, and be careful to obey my rules. But even in the New Testament church, God continued with this promise of the Holy Spirit, not just from Jesus, but listen to John the Baptist in Luke 3 and 16. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Church, this is power. When the Holy Spirit when the promise of Christ was given to the church, it was a promise of power, the Holy Spirit and fire. Now stay with me because some of you are about to check out, but, but, but please just, just stay right here just for a moment because I'm about to recreate some theology for you. If I can't back it up by scripture, then, then, then disregard it, okay? There's a common teaching that you get all of the Holy Spirit that you need at the moment of salvation. Some of you were raised in churches that believe this. That all of the Holy Spirit that is due to you comes at the moment of salvation. And there was a time in my life that I wanted this to be true. I needed this to be true. It would make my life as a pastor so much easier if this was true. That one-stop shop. Give my heart to Christ and all of the power of the Holy Spirit that I need in my life comes upon me at that moment. However... As I begin to explore, the scriptural evidence does not support this. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Don't forget what Jesus said to his disciples in our text in verse 17, John 14, 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because they have not yet received salvation. They don't believe. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you. That's present tense. He's telling the disciples in the upper room, he says, he dwells with you. You can't come to Christ unless the Spirit draws you to him. You must have the Spirit of God. It dwells with you. He said, it dwells with you. Present tense. And then listen to what he says, and will be in you. Future tense. He says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he says he's going to be in you. The only way this happens is when you make time to wait on him, as 120 believers did. They make space in their lives. They separate themselves from the norm. 
all the habits and, and all the things that, that caused separation between us and God. They laid all these things aside. They separated themselves from the world and they just waited. Jesus said, I want you to go to this upper room and I want you to wait. Think about how many followers Christ had. In one moment in scripture, we know that, that he teaches and feeds 4,000. In another moment in scripture, he teaches and feeds 5,000. He had thousands of people that would follow him, but only 120 of them were willing to make the sacrifice to go and wait on the promise, on the, the helper that Jesus said was coming. And there are 120 wait and they receive this promise. So when you make time and you wait on him, God says, I'll be faithful to fill you. Here, if you haven't bought into it yet, that, that he is with you and will be in you, listen to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, Philip, the early church. So this is after Christ has ascended. Philip leads some people in Samaria to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. They accept the word of, of Christ. They accept Christ as their savior. But when headquarters in Jerusalem hears that, some, that there's people in Samaria that have given their hearts to Christ, they've accepted the good news of Jesus, they then send Peter and John to get this, to lay hands on them so that they can receive the Holy Spirit after they have been saved. Listen to Acts chapter 8. Verses 14 through 17. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It's two separate experiences. There was salvation and then there was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So why? Why? Pastor, why? If, if, if you've convinced me that, that, yeah, there's a moment of salvation where the Spirit is with you and then there's this moment of spirit baptism where, where he it dwells in you and empowers you from within, why? Why is this so important? Why do we need the Holy Spirit baptism in our lives? And church, this is the question that I want to answer for us over these next few weeks. But I'm not going to leave you high and dry today, okay? Really quickly, the first answer on why we need the Holy Spirit is simply this. Jesus promised you a helper. He knew that you were going to need it. And he promised you a helper. How many of you have needed help this week? The rest of you are lying. You need help right now. I needed help this week. Man, did I need help this week. I needed help this week. Your pastor, man, I needed the helper. Jesus promised him, and I, and I needed him this week. I came in one evening this week. It was, it was late in the evening. And I, I was on a, on a phone call that with someone disgruntled. I'm just ready for some gruntled phone calls. <laughs> the, the disgruntled phone call, and um, I'm, I'm talking with someone, and they weren't necessarily attacking me, but they were, they were attacking people I love. And they were coming hard, coming hard, and, and, and here's the problem, is that I know their past and their indiscretions. And this person was in no place to be pointing the finger at anybody. And they kept on and kept on, and, and I can feel my temperature rising. 
I'm in the bedroom. I've got the door shut, and 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 we're. It's just. It's it's a heated conversation. It really is. It's a heated conversation. I don't know how else to tell you. It, it was it was it was getting loud. And I was just about to tell this person, "Who are you? Hey, hey, kettle, you're black. Back off. I know what you've done." And I was just about to say it. And as I went to say it, the Holy Spirit stopped me. Now, what you don't know is that in the kitchen, listening through the closed door and through the wall, my wife is in there. My wife is a praying woman. You probably have to be to live with me, but it's... Mandy's in the kitchen praying, and she's saying... Holy Spirit, give Rocky wisdom. Holy Spirit, give Rocky wisdom. That was her repetitive prayer. God, just give him wisdom. Holy Spirit. And I'm just about to tell him. And the Holy Spirit says, don't. And I stopped. And I just made a noise. I don't, I don't really know what the noise was. It was like, mm. And the person on the other end went, no, go ahead and say it. I said, I'm just trying to obey the Holy Spirit. Well, obey the Holy Spirit then. Go ahead and say it. I don't want to stop. And I finally just said, no, the Holy Spirit told me not to say it. And they went, oh. This conversation lasted for about another 45, 50 minutes. By the end, there was a completely different spirit on both of our ends. And by the end of the conversation, I had invited them to go to lunch. None of that happens. None of that. If I say what I want to say. Oh, some of you know what I'm talking about because you let that mouth get you in trouble all the time. You need the Holy Spirit. You need his help and you don't know that you need the help. Oh, it may not be on the phone. It might be on the keyboard. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised us this help. He promised us this help. He said, I'm going I'm going to prepare a place for you, but, but while I'm not here, I'm going to send you a helper who is going to be with you forever. He's not going to anoint you just for the moment. He will anoint you time and time again, and all you have to do is wait and carry and just invite him to come into your life, and when you invite him to come into your life, he's always there, and he's always accessible, and he will help you. When you need knowledge, he'll help you with that. When you need peace, he'll help you with that. Listen, I preached a funeral yesterday. The Bible refers to him as the comforter also. He is the comforter. Well, I prayed for that family, and I prayed, God, let the Holy Spirit surround them right now with your comfort. And man, I watched as the Holy Spirit just wrapped his arms around them and brought comfort to their lives. Jesus promised us a helper. Why wouldn't we want his help? One of the, the, the greatest theological statements I've ever read in my life, I read on Facebook. When someone asks, do you need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? And someone answered, honey, I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> Have you ever been to Walmart at 11 o'clock at night? Don't walk in there alone, church. Take the Holy Spirit with you. It's a different world. 
He is our help for life. He is our help. He is our guidance. He is our comfort. He is power for living. And Jesus promised this to us. And and what I think happens, church, is that many of us, we're leery of the Holy Spirit because of the dramatic birth. It weirds you out because the whole thing started so strange. Listen, when, when, when our twins were born, when Caleb and Kendall were born, it, it wasn't what some of you have experienced where, you know, you're in that nice birthing suite. No, we had twins, and one of them was breech. We had to go to an OR. And I remember when, when Kendall w- was born first, man, she came out just, just crying, and you, you know that sound that the newborn babies make, and that I mean, they just get a breath for a moment, and, and, and they just don't stop, you know? And, and that's how Kendall was born, and she hasn't stopped since. She's 23 years old, and it's just blah, 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 always making noise. Well, Caleb was breech. He came out feet first, and, and it was not good. It wasn't just dramatic. It was traumatic. They take him and, and, and they put him on a table, and, and I knew he wasn't crying. This was a bad scene. And he's laying over on the table, and, and, and they put this, this breathing apparatus on him, and they start pushing air into his lungs. And, and I flat out lied to my wife. I laid across her where she couldn't see him. She says, is he okay? Is he okay? And I say, he's fine, baby. He's fine. Let's concentrate on you. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, is he dead? He was turning blue. He wasn't breathing. It was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. I never want to go through that again. But it didn't stop me from enjoying the gift that God gave us. Because we made it past that. And raising those two kids have been, has been one of the greatest honors of our lives. Man, I, I thank God that we had that experience. It did not stop me from from enjoying the gift that God gave us with those kids. The birth of the church on the day of Pentecost was dramatic, to say the least. I mean, it was. The manifestations of the Spirit came with full force. I can't explain it all, but all I know is that the birth of the early church, guys, it was crazy. Crazy. There was this, this sound of a violent blowing wind. The Bible says that there were tongues of fire that that were on the believers' heads, that 120 in the upper room, tongues of fire that was on top of their heads. And then the Bible says that they they began to speak in, in other languages and other tongues as the Spirit empowered them. Listen to what happens. This is crazy. 120 men and women walk out of that upper room into the streets of Jerusalem. This is that moment. If if something like that happens in here, we're like locking the doors and not letting you get out there and represent us. I mean, that's just, just, it's just the way that we process things. We're like, no, 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 you're crazy right now. They come out of the upper room. They're all speaking in different languages. There are people in the streets of Jerusalem that have made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the the, 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 the Feast of Pentecost. And and, and 
people are from all other nations and they're all there and they are listening to these, these 120 believers. By the way, uneducated people. Uneducated, they had never studied other languages. And they're all telling the gospel in languages that all of these people on pilgrimage can understand all throughout the streets of Jerusalem and they're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the craziest thing. Oh God, why did you do this, Lord? God just reminded me. I'm about to freak some of you out. I didn't tell the first service this. Are you sure? I've seen this happen one time. My dad was in a pulpit in Perry, Florida. And all of a sudden, there was a language that started coming out of him. And there were two sisters of our choir director. Our choir director was, was Mexican. And her sisters were visiting from Mexico. They didn't speak a word of English. My dad has never had a lesson, a Spanish lesson in his life. He cannot speak Spanish. Trust me. He, 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 he had problems with English. <laughs> My dad, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has no idea what he is saying. And the choir director came to him and said, you just spoke perfect Spanish. And my sisters just understood everything. And I looked at those girls and they were bawling their eyes out through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't explain this. It's, it's dramatic. And the early church was birthed in a very dramatic moment. I don't want you to dismiss what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through our lives because of a dramatic beginning. Because we don't get it and we don't understand it. There are just some things that we're never going to understand this side of glory and we may not understand it there. Who, why would he have to explain to my finite mind what any of this means? What Jesus promised me was a helper. To get through day-to-day -day life, to give me wisdom when I need wisdom, to give me understanding, to give me peace, to give me comfort. That was the promise that he made, and I don't want to miss out on that because of such a dramatic beginning when the church was birthed. 120 believers gathered in an upper room and the most secure relationship they'd ever had in their life just ascended to heaven before their very eyes. And now they're left here. And he said, you just go and you just wait on the Holy Spirit. You just wait on the helper. And man, did they need help. Jesus had been there to heal them, to provide for them, to, to, to deposit wisdom into their minds and love into their hearts. But now he was gone. He was no longer physically there with them. But he made a promise to them and he said, the helper will come. You go and wait and the helper is going to come. Listen to me. I don't care how long you've been serving Christ. Maybe today is the first day that you've decided I'm going to serve Christ. Maybe you're, you're, you've been serving Christ for 80 years. I don't know. But, but here's what I know. 
Your walk with Christ will become so much easier when you will just invite the Holy Spirit to invade who you are. But it only comes through the sacrifice of saying, here I am, God. Here I am. I will wait this thing out. I will not rush through it. And whatever you need to take out of my life to, make de- to, to, to deposit to the Holy Spirit in my life, whatever room I need to create for him to, to invade that space, Lord, you show me, you teach me. For, for, for 120 people, they waited there in that upper room, and God was faithful to fill them. And, and I don't even want to tell you what that looks like for you. I don't. I've had too many people try and dictate that in my own life. I don't want to even describe what that should look like for you. Here's all I want you to do. I want you, throughout this series, to pray this simple prayer. Lord, help me create space for the Holy Spirit. Give me a hunger for him to invade my space. Man, think about what the helper could do in your life if he was just invited in. If he was just invited in. I don't want to miss out on this promise. And so I'm asking you, I don't want you to miss out on this promise. I'm just asking you throughout this series, just pray, Lord, make me hungry for the Holy Spirit and help me to create space for him. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.